Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. It's it up to McCaffrey. There he goes. It's a C-Mac attack. This is Desmond Johnson on the Believe and Carolina Panthers podcast. Here on the Believe Podcast Network the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes. We're available in your favorite directories, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can also find us at Believe.com and at Believe Podcast on Twitter. On today's podcast, a look back at the Panthers' 27-24 loss to the Saints and a preview of the Week 8 matchup on Thursday night versus the Falcons. And welcome to another edition of the Believe and Carolina Panthers podcast here on the Believe Podcast Network. I am your host, Desmond Johnson, and I am joined by my esteemed colleague. He is a two-time Super Bowl winner, uh, the first defensive player ever selected by the Carolina Panthers, uh, first round selection at that back in 1995, cornerback Tyrone Poole. What's going on, Ty? What's going on, Desmond? Always good to be with you on the Believe in Panthers podcast, uh, giving all the information that the Panther fans and even the players, I know they listening to us and the coaches, giving them information that will help them be better on the field the next game. Well, I hope some of the coaches are listening because I got some some uh, some scolding to do <laughs> after watching the the Panthers lose to the Saints down in uh, New Orleans this past Sunday, um, and we'll we'll get into a recap for that. The Panthers on a short week actually having to take on the Atlanta Falcons this Thursday, their first primetime game of the 2020 season. Um, you'll be able to watch that on Amazon Prime. You can watch it on NFL Network, and if I'm not mistaken, it'll also be on Fox. So you'll have it on free network television as well. And it should be a pretty good matchup. I know the Falcons are going through some things, and uh, the Panthers are feisty, so we should get a pretty good uh, matchup Thursday night. We'll preview that game for you as well on this uh, a little bit earlier than normal edition of the Believe in Panthers podcast. And uh, we are brought to you by the fine folks over at Bet Online. The NFL season is in full swing. You might not be able to be at the game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online. And there is always the online casino as well. It never closes. So head over to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. The Carolina Panthers losing their uh, fourth game of the season, 27-24 in a, basically a shootout, uh, Tyrone, on a Sunday uh, down in New Orleans. Uh, the Panthers dropped to 3-4 and four in the season, 2-2 two and two in conference play. The Saints moved to 4-2 and two in the season, trying to keep pace with uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who are starting to look like an all-star team <laughs> after signing Antonio Brown earlier this week, uh, trying to keep pace with them. Uh, they are 3-1 and one, um, at home. So... First, we always go through takeaways from the game. I'm going to let you kick it off uh, this week, Ty, uh, to give a takeaway that you fall from this Saints-Panthers matchup because I'm sure there was plenty of things that caught your eye. I bet as a defensive player, this game probably drove you nuts (laughs) watching them go up and down the field like two race cars uh, for the majority of the day. Yeah, you know, I figured and I knew coming into this game, both of their offenses are similar. Uh, but the one thing that uh, to started off that I was uh, impressed with was the Carolina's defense in the first quarter. Like I mentioned last week, leading up to this game, I thought the Saints were going to come in with their offense and just pass the ball uh, in the first quarter to try to get that rhythm back after coming off of a bye week. And not only that, but playing at home. So the Panthers defense just giving up seven points to the uh, Saints in the first quarter, I thought was very big. And then, you know, uh, everything just unraveled in the second quarter. Both teams putting up uh, 14 points in the uh, second quarter. So that was a scoring fest, so to speak, in the second quarter. But I was very impressed with the Panthers defense uh, again. 
Sean Payton, Drew Brees. Uh, you know, you see Drew Brees all the time licking his fingers and like he's antsy and you know <laughs> ready to get out there on the football field and throw that ball. So I was very impressed with you know how Shaq Thompson and the defense and all the other guys, uh, Trey Boston leading in the secondary and Shaq Thompson, who you know we hoping continues to be the leader, uh, replacing Luke Kinkley. But how that defense came out and really uh, stood their ground against a Saints team that just come off a bye week and uh, really helped them in check in the uh, first quarter. Yeah, I thought um, one of the turning points in the game was early on. The the Saints were actually threatening to kind of run away with it. They were up 14-3 to and had the ball back. And uh, there was only one sack in this game. Brian Burns, uh, the defensive end, the second-year defensive end out of Florida State, our first-round selection last year. Uh, came around the did a nice move, literally just ducked under the armpit of the uh, of the left tackle, and just sped past him to Drew Brees, sacked him, forced a fumble. It set Carolina up to score a touchdown, and that honestly kind of was a turning point in the game because at, at that point, really, they hadn't stopped Drew Brees doing whatever he wanted to do in the passing game up and down the field. This was like second quarter when this happened, uh, and at that point, I think Carolina kind of settled down a little bit, and then he started getting this back and forth where. I think there was only one punt the entire game. Carolina had a punt. Uh, I don't think New Orleans punted at all, if I'm not mistaken, uh, throughout this matchup. Um, the number one glaring thing, and I mention it almost every week on this podcast, but it was super apparent to me on Sunday to the point where I was yelling at my television around the second or third quarter. I've always told you know I've always said I live by run the ball, stop the run. The Panthers could not run the football against New Orleans. Uh, they only had 37 yards rushing for the entire game. Uh, Mike Davis, the starting tailback, seven carries for 12 yards. That's a 1.7-yard average. The whole team only averaged 2.6 yards per run. Uh, it just it made it where we just didn't have it, and we had it became one-dimensional. It almost became like a you know those seven-on-seven high school like scrimmage type joints where it's like you're not tackling. It's just kind of like all everybody go go routes or whatever, and we're just gonna pep it around the field. That's how it felt the whole game for both teams. Like it just felt like. Uh, especially Carolina, they couldn't establish a run game. And luckily, Teddy was so accurate that they were still able to get it down the field. But I felt like New Orleans was able to cheat a little bit in terms of uh, their coverage because we just couldn't run the ball. I I didn't even realize this guy, Miles Hartsfield, he had two carries for two yards for Carolina. He's listed as a cornerback. They had a cornerback back there running a couple of snaps, which tells me the depth uh, at running back is very, very thin. Uh, without Christian McCaffrey. And good news, Panther fans, uh, McCaffrey was at practice on Monday. He did not practice at practice, but he was there going through the walkthrough and everything else. So uh, head coach Matt Rule mentioned in his Monday press conference that there is a possibility that we get our number one offensive weapon back for this Thursday night game, uh, which I I think would be great. It gives them 10 days before we actually see the Chiefs the following week. So uh, I think we've gotten to a point in our run game where – it's pretty apparent that we're missing our number one guy and we need him back um, just to, to remain, you know, competitive in these games. Um, I, I just, especially the past two weeks has been really glaring the, the, the absence of Christian McCaffrey. Yeah. Um, that's, 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 you know, to have him back is good. Uh, my second thing that I look at is the Teddy Bridgewater. You know, he came back off of, having his worst game against the Bears, uh, 216 yards, two interceptions, quarterback QBR was 50.4 against the Bears. He come back against the Saints, which I knew and expected uh, Teddy Bridgewater to come back and bounce back. Uh, Being a player myself, playing the game, uh, I remember when I uh, got traded to the Indianapolis Colts and we had uh, in that season – our game against the Panthers and they came to Indianapolis. And if there was one game that I was fired up for, it was against Mm. the Panthers. So I knew Teddy Bridgewater was going to bounce back uh, because that's what we do. We play the former team. So Teddy came back 23 of 28 passes, uh, which is a great heck of a percentage completion for 254 yards and two touchdowns. So uh, he used his legs a little bit during the game. And I know a lot of people uh, come back towards uh, the end of the game and they say, you know, uh, Teddy should have done this and Teddy should have done that, that instead of taking a sack. Well, 
you know, you got to understand football. You know, Teddy did everything he could do. Uh, the Saints just dialed up a great defensive blitz yeah. and had good containment. Uh, that's what a good defense does. Teddy could not roll out to his left or to his right because the Saints, the way the defense was structured, they ran it to a T. They pushed the pocket, contained the edges, so Teddy Bridgewater couldn't do nothing but take the sack. So uh, that was a good play by them. But uh, Teddy, for overall, did a good job. He got everybody involved uh, in the game. Let me let me stop you right there for a second. Uh, that spot right there where uh, Teddy had to take that sack on third down, it, it really pushed them out of field goal range. Yes. Uh, head coach Matt Rule decided to go for it anyway. Uh, turned into a 65-yarder, would have been an NFL record by Joey Sly, who just came off of the uh, the COVID list a couple of days ago. He didn't have it. He was just in close contact with someone who did and had to pass. I think it's uh, five tests in a row before you're back on the team. So he just made it on Saturday. Uh, I did see uh, Joe Brady and some others watching Sly practice kick from 60 yards out before the game, and he was clearing it by a good seven yards. So – I'm a. I'm gonna ask you to put your coach's cap on, uh, Coach Pool. Would you have gone for that 65 yard uh, field goal, or would I mean, Matt Rule said you know they really don't have a whole lot of plays drawn up for fourth and 19, so it made it where either you kick that, you try that long field goal, or you try to punt it and pin Drew Brees, you know, inside his five or something. But there was nothing to suggest they were gonna stop Drew Brees from going down the field. He'd been going down it all day long. So, Coach Pool, would you have tried that 65 yard field goal I attempt? I agree with Matt Rule and his uh, uh, reasoning and his decision for doing that because, again, like he said, there is no plays drawn up to get 19 yards. Yeah. If defense <laughs> allows 19 yards, uh, which you do see that sometimes, and usually that's a pass interference or the defense just has a big debacle collapse. Uh, but in a situation where uh, the game is where it is, the Saints defense, their coaches – their leaders on defense were going to make sure that everybody knew what they were going to do in that defense. And normally what we do, we tell the defense and the secondary back up, back up to 15 yards, defend the first down marker. Mm -hmm. so now we allow the front four to put pressure. So as the receivers are running to us, it don't make no sense for us to go up and try to play press and it's 19 yards, get back and defend the first down marker. They got to come to you. Plus, as a defense, we're able to see what's going on while we're waiting for the receivers to come to us. And then basically we just go make the tackle. So I agree with Matt Rule. There's no way in the world that I believe a good defense would allow you to get 19 yards. So uh, you had to take what was given, and that's what Coach Matt Rule did. And again, yeah. uh, as far as Drew Brees not stopping him uh, or them stopping Drew Brees, I go back to Super Bowl uh, where the Panthers – not the uh, – a Patriots played the Philadelphia Eagles. Mm -hmm. uh, neither offense, neither defense was stopping neither offense. Yeah. Uh, if it had not been for that fumble, that strip sack uh, uh, of uh, Tom Brady, I don't think the Eagles were going to stop the Patriots offense. Great so, point. you know, situations like that, you got to look at both sides of the ball. And I think Coach Matt Rule did a great job. That was a great decision. Go for it. You know what? He almost made that, 60, that, 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 that field goal. He Man, it, it was so <laughs> close. He was 64 yards. He had he had a 65-yard. He kicked it 64 yards. And it was right down the middle. Like, literally, he almost hit the upright. <laughs> it would have bounced over. Uh, but, yeah, it would have been an NFL record. Um I, I'm I'm agreeing with you. I would as he as it was going on, I was already kind of in the commercial. Like, man, they should go ahead and try to kick. I didn't realize it was going to be 65 yards. And when they came back from commercial, <laughs> and they showed them lining up for it, and slides on the other side of the 50, I'm like, oh no, <laughs> they're about to try to do this. And I mean, when it was up and it's in the air, I'm like, oh my gosh, th that's going in. Like that's going to hit, and like it just barely just didn't have enough on it. But yeah. uh, I bet Sly would probably wish they had that back. Yeah, went up under that crossbar, as you said, and yeah. uh, hit that crossbar and went over. But, again, the other thing I think influenced Matt Rule's decision, it's indoors. It's right. indoors. Yep. Absolutely. So there's no wind. There's nothing. So the chances of, of Sly making that kick, the percentages goes up. Now, would he have made that decision if they were playing in Carolina or if they were playing in another outdoor stadium? You know, now, you know, you got a lot of other variables that are in place. Now you got the wind and all that thing. So, um, but indoors, no wind. It's just 
my foot, your kicker's foot into that football. Uh, I don't know. Maybe uh, uh, maybe it should have put a little bit more air in the football. You know, maybe <laughs> it had a little bit more bang to it. <laughs> inflate gate down there in New Orleans. That's what we're at. <laughs> Yeah, I got a, I got another question for uh, for Coach Poole here in just a second. My, uh, I had a second um, part of my my observations. The whole run the ball, stop the run. The Panthers are allowing 124 yards per game on the ground through the the, the first seven weeks of the season. It, it, to me, it just needs to be a point of emphasis. And I don't know if it is, and they just don't have the horses to do it, or if they've been focused on the pass defense because it is a passing league, and the Panthers do have. Uh, you know, a top 10 unit in pass defense, which is great, but they they are allowing too many yards for my liking on the ground. The the defense, I want them to start uh, trying to not allow a team to rush for over 100 yards per game. And this used to be like a Ron Rivera staple when we when we had Kawan Short and Star Latulale in the middle of our defensive line. The Panthers had like a streak where they didn't allow any teams to rush for over 100 yards for like it's like 12 or 14 games. It went across two seasons, and they kind of became known for it. And I feel like the the Saints were able to run pretty much whenever they wanted. Mainly it was Alvin Kamara. They didn't let a 100-yard rusher, like one singular guy, but the Saints ended up rushing for 138 yards total as a team. And I think that, kept the, that made the Panthers' defense uh, more honest in terms of they had to play the run. They had to respect it because Alvin Kamara – you know, 14 carries, he had 83 yards, but the dude was averaging six yards a carry on the ground. I mean, he's literally almost a first down every time he touched the ball. It was almost like college, like watching him run around uh, and just he would get a burst and be through the line before anybody even put a hand on him. So it was like, I don't know what they need to do. I don't know if that's an issue of just sheer, you know, the talent level on the defense needs to be brought up through the draft and other things. Uh, I don't know if you can scheme to to do that better seven, eight weeks into a season. Uh, at this point, you might just be who you are. But that that was something that I really wanted them to to work better on. And they've had games where they've done that. The Chicago game, they did really well against the defense. Coach Matt Rule said something in his press conference on Monday that I was going to ask you to, to explain in layman's terms to Panther fans who may not understand what exactly it is. And I figured who better to do this than a former defensive player in the NFL. Uh Coach Rule mentioned that they're a one-gap defense and that if they just play their gaps, that typically they can, you know, hold a team. But usually whenever you see a guy break a run or whatever on the Panthers, it's because one guy didn't do his job in his gap. Can you explain, Tyrone, just briefly in layman's terms, what a one-gap defense is to our, our listeners and Carolina Panther fans who may not know exactly what that terminology is? Yeah, uh, that's a great, great point, uh, Desmond. Um you know, it's a lot of fans out there. They know what a touchdown and what a field goal is, and they know what a first down and a penalty is given. But not too many uh, fans may know what a one gap and two gap means uh, in a defense. Well, uh, visualize, if you can, uh, the offensive line. Okay, you got the center, you got the guard, and next to the guard, you got the tackle. And in between that center, guard, and tackle, are gaps. You got the A gap, which is between the center and the guard. And between the guard and the tackle, you got the B gap. And then on the outside of the tackle, you got the C gap. So every player has an assignment. Every run defense has an assignment. Um, You may have the guard on defense. His job is the A gap, okay? Uh, Whichever side of the center that A gap is. And if that person, that guard, doesn't stay in his gap and he tries to get out of his gap and stick his nose into, say, the B gap, he's supposed to have an A gap, but he sees that the run is the running back is trying to go outside of him to the tackle, then most times those guys will leave their gap and try to go make a play. And then it's just when they leave their gap, their gap, that that running back cuts back. Because remember, the running back is running towards the tackle, but his vision is looking at the whole side of that offensive line. And if he sees a gap start to open, that's when he cut it back and hit that gap. And that person that was supposed to be in that gap, that A gap, is no longer there. So now you have two people playing the B gap or the C gap. So when Coach Matt Rule says that they are a one-gap team, that means that somebody has the A gap, the B gap, and the C gap. And when you don't maintain your gap 
gap integrity, as they call it, every man doing his job, then you're going to have a big hole. Uh, some teams are two gaps. Two gaps mean they got one person responsible for the A and the B. So basically what that defensive lineman has to do at the snap of the ball, he gets his hands up under the center, and he's looking to see the flow in the backfield. And if the ball is going to his right, if he's the guard, then he has the A gap. If the ball carrier is going to his left, then he is responsible for the B gap. So really he's trying to mimic the flow of the backfield. So those two gaps are usually harder, but everybody has an assignment. Every defensive is structured for each gap to be taken care of. And I think that's why you see a lot of teams running like a 4-3 over a 3-4, because in order to run a 3-4, you have to have a nose guard who is a two-gapper. He has both A gaps. And if you don't have that beast of a nose guard, then you cannot run a 4-3. So that's why you see more teams going to the uh, 4-3, which it may be other reasons why they do the 4-3 as well. But um, that is a little small breakdown of Tyrone Poole's one-on-one coaching talk. No, I, I loved it. It was great. <laughs> and plus, you actually, in a way, too, you explained why the Panthers struggled against the run last year. Because if people remember – uh, based on the urgings of the owner, David Tepper, Ron Rivera switched the defense from a 4-3 to a 3-4. And uh, when he did that, it made it where got, teams just basically started running right up the middle on the Panther defense, like 10, 15, 20-yard gains. Uh, at this point, the team was kind of you know crumbling apart. Rivera lost his job. Cam wasn't playing. Kyle Allen's out there. So, I mean, it, it got to a point where the Panthers' defense was kind of just mailing it in at a point last year, it felt like. But you, you just explained – how that was able to happen because technically the Panthers didn't really have a nose tackle that could do that. I think they had Kawan Shorts in there for a little bit, then he got hurt. Then he was rotating guys in there like Gerald McCoy and Don Terry Poe. And to what you just said, those guys I don't believe are true two gap nose tackle, like Haloti Nada type guys. So, I mean, uh, that would explain why there was probably always a gap open. And if you're a good running back, like a Todd Gurley, who we're going to see Thursday night, who basically just follows the gaps. He, he'll hold basically if his gap that was originally he was supposed to hit, he's able to wait for, you know, the line to shift and get to the next gap before the defense can get there, which has made him a former offensive player of the year in the league. Um, that explains why the Panthers had troubles last year and explains a little bit why they're having some troubles this year because they're, they're, they are a young defense. We forget with the early success the Panthers have had. This defense and this team as a whole, the average age of the team is 26 years old, 25, 26. They're, they are a very young team. They're still trying to learn this. They're dealing with all these things that are out there right, for, for this season. Yeah, but still, regardless of young or whatever, you know, you learn A, B, C, gap, integrity, Playing Pop Warner. I was gonna say that's where I learned it. <laughs> that's where I learned it. I learned it playing Mighty Mike football, playing uh, Pop Warner. <laughs> there's no excuse of being young. There's yeah. no excuse of being young. So let's take that excuse off the table. Yeah. Everybody just got to get out there, and they got to to stop the run is a mentality. Right. Yes. Run defense is a mentality. Pass defense is a technique. Run. To stop the run, you got to just say, I'm going to whip the man in front of me. I'm going to whip his butt. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to get in my gap, and he's not going to take me out of it. So run defense is a mentality. Pass defense is a technique. I like that. That's a T-shirt. That's another T-shirt right there. That's know, you, I'm going to write that down. Desmond Johnson, Tyrone Poole here with you, the Believe in Panthers podcast. Uh, you definitely can catch us on the Believe Podcast Network. We're here every week getting you ready for the Carolina Panthers uh, and whomever they may be facing, plus a recap of the previous week. Uh, again, the Panthers dropped to three and four. It was a it was a fun game to watch. Uh, I never felt like the Panthers were out of it at any point of the game, except for right there, like I said, when it was 14-3, the Saints just got the ball back. Right before Burns got that strip sack fumble, I felt like, okay, the Panthers need to do something on this drive on defense. Otherwise, the Saints are threatening to kind of run away with this early, and they did. So, like, the Panthers, it feels like every – they haven't really been out of any game this year. Now to think back on it, like, I mean, the games they've lost, they've either turned over the ball real early and dug a hole for themselves and then fought to get back and made it interesting at the end, uh, Tampa, Chicago, yeah. and, or or they've had games where 
they just couldn't get over the hump of being down early. Like I felt like, and I think we said it on the last podcast, I said, I think the Panthers need to score first and they've got to stay ahead of the saints because if they have to chase the saints, then the saints aren't going to let them get ahead because they haven't for the past, like it feels like the past three or four years, even with cam here, it felt like it's been a track meet. Every time we've seen the saints, it's been like a 35 to 31, no punts, both teams up and down the field, type of game and that's exactly what it was Sunday and basically by giving the Saints that 14-3 lead it put the Panthers kind of in a spot where they had to fight back the yep. whole game and they're just not there yet to to really yep. be able to do it um you let, mentioned, let me say, this, let me yeah, say this, you know about that run defense it make sure people understand this mm-hmm. uh because you know football has changed to the point where it's more aerial it's more you see in more three wide receiver sets so maybe this will help people understand as well. Again, myself having experience and, and, and just seeing it, hopefully I can share my vision with everyone listening. Now, you got more offenses going to three receivers, okay? Used to be back in the day, you would see one tight end, two wide receiver, two running backs. Mm-hmm. And you probably saw more defenses able to stack up and stop the run because you got more linebackers in there, really stout linebackers, really stout defensive linemen. But in today's game, you're seeing more three receiver sets. So what that means, you have to bring in that hybrid guy, that guy who they're not quite a linebacker and they're not quite a defensive line or a a defensive back. Or you bring in a defensive back, you take out a linebacker. So you're giving up your ability to stop the run physically because of the three wide receiver sets which are more of a passing offense. So what offenses coordinators are doing, they are bringing in what you see, these running backs who are able to run the ball and able to catch the ball out the backfield. I call them Roger Craig's. They're the Roger Craig's of football now. They run it and throw it. So what that does, that put a lot of pressure on the defense, and you're going to see gaps. New Orleans Saints, when you're going against them, you know they're not a run-first team. So when you see Kamara running for 5.9 yards, you have to pick your poison. Do you bring in that linebacker and stop the run, and now you got a linebacker trying to cover Alvin Kamara just like with Christian McCaffrey? Or do you bring in a defensive back to where you hope that defensive back is strong and tough enough to when you run the ball, he's able to stop the run while being able to cover that slot-wide receiver? So – these three receiver sets do put a strain on the defense, and you're going to have gaps like that where, uh, again, Kamara only ran it 14 times. But the Panthers, I believe their defensive scheme came in was to stop Kamara in the passing game. Um, again, go back to the Buffalo Bills. They had the K-Gun. That's why the K-Gun was so good yeah. uh, in the 90s because defenses were not used to being able to defend three wide receiver sets and that's why Thurman Thomas would have good running games and his average per carry was a good because you got to pick your poison. And the same thing the Rams did it with Marshall Falk. So it does put pressure on a defense to actually stop the run. That's a great point. And, uh, you know, that trend in the NFL really kind of started maybe five or six years ago when um, first the run play option, the RPO, really kind of took the league by storm. Of course, we had it here with Cam Newton. Uh, other teams kind of took that too. I see a lot of, because I call a lot of high school football. So I see a lot of trends out of high school pop up in college and then the pros a couple years later. So like the spread offense, the the pistol, all this kind of stuff where, like you said, you've got three wide receivers out. You've got the quarterback and shotgun. You probably got the uh, the running back right beside him to the left or the right. And from that point on, the quarterback can decide, you know, whether or not he's got a guy one-on-one on the outside or if he just wants to hand it off to his right or he's got a plethora of different things he can do. And I'm seeing more and more teams kind of adapt to that. And on Sunday, what we saw were two of the better offenses at doing that, going against each other in Carolina and New Orleans, to the point where it almost felt like – it almost felt helpless <laughs> watching them try to defend it because – it's like, what do you do? Like, what are you supposed to do to defend this on both sides? It was just like someone's always going to be open. And if you've got a guy throwing 70 plus percent completion rate, whether it's Breeze or uh, Bridgewater, more often he's going to complete three out of every time, every four times he throws the ball, more than likely. So, I mean, it just felt like a track meet. And I expected it. I, I was hoping we would come out victorious on the other end. But yet again, it was another game where the game was over and I didn't feel like 
oh man, we really got outplayed. It was just one of those, man, we, we let another one go. Like we, we might've been able to do a couple things different and won that game, but it's growing pains, you know, growing pains for a team that, uh, they probably need that to, to build on. I will say one thing though, that needs to be worked on before we see Atlanta. We're about to go to Atlanta right now. Uh, a, a stat that I thought was just mind blowing to me, the new Orleans saints on Sunday, their third down efficiency, Tyrone, they were at 85.7% conversion rate. They converted 12 of 14 third downs. Like, that's not going to win you a whole lot of games at any level. Pop Warner, <laughs> high school, college pro. If you're just letting a team stay on the field the whole day and just go up and down the field like that, it's going to be a tough day for your defense. It's going to eventually wear them down, I would imagine. Um, but going forward here, Panthers, Falcons, another divisional rival, short week, which is why we're putting this out here a little bit earlier than normal. Uh, I'm, I'm Right now, as we're doing this, I'm seeing on a first take uh, a story about how the Falcons, uh, Matt Ryan and Julio Jones have both come out and said they do not wish to be traded, uh, despite this being the second year in a row that the Falcons have started off one and six. I don't know. Uh, did you see the end of the Falcons uh, Lions game on Sunday? Did you get a chance to see the end of it? Uh, no, I did not. So, well, you probably know what it was just because it was the Falcons. But <laughs> so the Falcons. So, OK, so the Panthers game goes off. Right. And I'm just kind of sitting here. I'm writing down some notes and I'm I'm debating switching over to the Steelers Titans ending on uh, on CBS. And Fox switches it over to the Falcons Lions game. The Falcons have just gone down and scored. And took a lead with like a minute and like five seconds or something to go in the fourth quarter. They're on the road in Detroit. And you're thinking, oh, the Falcons finally kind of broke this like little curse thing they got going on. They're going to actually win this game. It'll be two in a row for, I think Raheem Morris is the interim head coach right now. I literally looked down on my notepad and started jotting some stuff down. I had the volume down. It couldn't have been no more than maybe, I don't know, five minutes maybe. When I look back up at the TV, the time is expiring. Detroit just scored a touchdown <laughs> as the time expired and the Falcons lose again with a fourth quarter lead. And I'm just like, what, what is this team doing? Like, how are they figuring out these ways to lose these games in the fourth quarter like this? Because they gave Matt Stafford 80 yards and a minute to get down the field. And he did and scored a touchdown. They needed a touchdown. I think they were down by like four or something like that. So they needed a, a touchdown to win the game and they gave it up. So that team, uh, we get to see Stroll into Charlotte, 8 o'clock kickoff Thursday night on Amazon Prime, on Fox, and on uh, NFL Network. Uh, the big question for the Panthers, will Christian McCaffrey play in this game? We'll know a little bit more here midweek. If he, uh, he probably will not play if he's not going to practice at all. If he's just at practice, right, Ty? Like, if he's at practice and not pads or not doing anything, the odds are he's probably not going to suit up, correct? Yeah, definitely. If you're not playing, if you're not suited up, you're not taking reps. And uh, it, it, the most important day uh, is the day before the game. Um, or should I say, if it's a Sunday game, if a particular player is not practicing or did not practice on Friday, then more than likely they are not going to play on Sunday. Because what happens on Friday, that is the day that the team goes through every phase of practice that they went through breaking it up during the week on Wednesday, for example, they may just do first and second downs. Okay. Uh, Thursday is more third down uh, and blitz. And then on Friday, they put it all together. First down, second down, third down, uh, red zone blitz. So if you don't take part in that Friday's practice, that gives you an opportunity to, and again, we talk about if a game is played on Sunday. If you don't see a player taking part in that Friday's practice, more than likely not going to play on Sunday. So for for the, for these purposes, I would imagine Tuesday, Wednesday Tuesday, would be Wednesday, the yes, Tuesdays that day. Yes. So uh, Wednesday we'll is a walkthrough, basically. Ah, gotcha. So Tuesday, so Tuesday. yeah. So we'll find out here soon enough um, whether or not McCaffrey's going to try to give it a go. Um, I, I don't know, because uh, this would be – week six i believe since he's been out um and i just peeked ahead on the schedule and realized uh i, I didn't realize it until i went to go look the game after this is the world champion kansas city chiefs on the road at arrowhead so do you bring mccaffrey in if he's ready to go and play this week and then he's gonna have like 10 days before we see the chiefs on the road or do you just say you know what it's a short week 
We're still not sure about it. Let's just hold them off, bring them back uh, next week when we go see the Kansas City Chiefs. I mean, how do you how do you determine that as a as a coach, uh, whether or not to, to let your star player come in or not? Well, basically, I think at this point in time, the Panthers are still in a good uh, position that they still can win out. The season is still long, uh, so anything can happen. So my point of, of concern would be, do you want to bring back McCafferty too early and then he's done he re injures himself and he's down for the rest of the season and mm-hmm. now you have an opportunity to go into the playoffs so I think you got to be mindful of that as well yes you know everyone looks at the uh, need right now but the Panthers are still sitting at a good point where they could just if they win this game against Atlanta and I've been a part of teams where we've won 21 straight games. Yeah. So anything can happen. They could finish up 12 and 4. They could finish up 11 and 5, 10 and 6. And you don't know what the other teams are going to do. The Buccaneers could all of a sudden have be riddled with injuries. And they go, so you, you can't, yes, you want to look at where you are right now, but you got to look at where that player is. Is the player able to come back and not really threaten or put themselves in a position to re-injure themselves? So you got to look at the injury in itself. Is it an injury that could reoccur right away? And if it is an injury that could reoccur right away, then you got to pace that player and bring that player back when they're at their strongest. But we all know NFL football is a what have you done for me lately. Yes. Right now. That's why they have surgery. Uh, they want you to get in, get that surgery, so you can get back out on the on the football field because surgery is the fastest way to get a player back out there on the football field. Which I believe that's why I believe that we as NFL players should have our entire contracts guaranteed, just like the NBA and just like Major League Baseball. Yeah, I definitely agree that uh, NFL players should have guaranteed contracts at this point. It's ridiculous to me that they don't. Uh, based on the the wear and tear they put on their bodies on a, a, a weekly basis, and just peeking at the Panther schedule, it's not that bad, really. Once they get past uh, this week, they I mean they got some hot spots. They got to play the Chiefs, they got to play the Packers, the Saints again, uh, but they also have the Broncos are in there, the Lions are in there, the Vikings aren't having a great season, uh, the Washington Football Team. So we'll get to see our uh, former head coach Ron Rivera the next to last game of the season, a couple days after Christmas. So it'll be interesting if the Panthers can keep playing the way they are. Honestly, I kind of feel like they're going to end up being right around seven and nine, eight and eight, a five hundred type of team, and that might be enough to get into the playoffs because they added a playoff spot for the NFC and AFC, so now seven teams get in instead of six. So, uh, you know, we'll see. But first things first, they got to take care of this Falcons team on Thursday, and uh, one of the things I, I'm really hoping that they can do, the Panthers' defense. I'm hoping they can apply some pressure to Matt Ryan. And continue to be one of these top pass defenses in the league. I, I didn't realize it because you know the record kind of hides it. But the Falcons they are they are playing really they're playing really well in terms of passing the ball. They're the third best in the league. They average right under 300 yards per game in the air, 295 yards per uh, per game to be exact. And Matt Ryan's actually having a, a good season. He's thrown 12 touchdowns. He's only thrown three interceptions. He's not really turning the ball over. It seems like with the Falcons, what's happening is that their defense is kind of letting them down at the end of games. Defense and special teams. Uh, there have been some lapses on on both of those sides to let teams get back into games late in the fourth quarter after the Falcons have already had a lead. Because um, that's really been their story. They'll build up a 15-point, 16-point lead. And then around the fourth quarter, the other team comes back and their defense can't stop the onslaught. And then they end up losing the game. So I, I think... The main key for Carolina, oh my, oh well, from my thoughts, would be contain the pass defense for the Atlanta Falcons. You said earlier, pick your poison. I'd rather have Todd Gurley rush for 110 yards on us and we win by seven than let Matt Ryan and Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley go nuts in the air and they they put up a lead that we can't you know overcome uh, in the in the constraints of a game. Yeah, I definitely agree uh, with what you're saying. Uh, it, you know, you still got to play defense, even though the rules are catered more towards the uh, offense. But I do understand and know that Matt Ryan is a different quarterback when he has Julio Jones and he has Calvin Ridley, who I believe Calvin Ridley is a number one uh, receiver. That guy runs. 
some yeah. great routes, man. I'm like, he is quick in and out of his breaks. So when he's in that slot, you got to be mindful of him. And at the same time, you can't say, hey, we're going to leave Julio by himself. So I no. think that <laughs> when those two guys are by themselves uh, or in the game, should I say, and then you add in Todd Gurley. So again, it's another tall drink of water for the Panthers uh, defense. And what I would like to see the Panthers do, I would like to see them get a little bit more uh, up in the receiver's face. Uh, we play a lot of, if you look at the games, the, the, the defensive backs are playing a lot of off coverage, which receivers love that. They love that because that's a free re release. You're not being impeded by no way, shape, or form by a physical body. Um, and, you know, it's, it's easy route running. So, you know, every once in a while, hey, change it up. You know, defensive backs, linebackers, you know, let's knock those receivers around, knock them off them crossing routes. As, you know, as a linebacker, as you see them coming across or step in their way or something to misdirect. But, um, the Falcons offense with Julio and Calvin Ridley are a different team. And also I think the Falcons cannot give up big plays. Uh, I'm sorry, the uh, Panthers cannot give up big plays like they did in the Saints game, whether it was running or passing. And a big play is anything in the passing game over 25 yards and a run that is over 15 yards. And then on the other side of the ball, the Panthers offense continue to get those big plays. Uh, Continue to throw the ball. Robbie Anderson, I was glad to see Robbie Anderson, DJ Moore, uh, Curtis Samuel. Mm -hmm. They're all being called almost at the same time, so to speak. Um, you know, in one game, it's like Teddy really spread the ball around. All mm -hmm. of these guys were having great yards after the catch. And, uh, you know, they were all being targeted. I think Robbie Anderson targeted eight times, caught six of them. Uh, Samuel targeted six, caught six. And, you know, when you can have production like that, um, I can't leave DJ Moore out. He was targeted five times and caught four for 93. He had that big 74-yard uh, yes, complete. Sir. So the offense is going to continue to do what they got to do. The defense got to step up the game, and every man got to stay in this gap, just like Coach Rule said, because we know Todd, Todd Gurley, he's going to run the ball, uh, and they're going to give the ball to him. And – if the defense can show up and just get a couple stops and don't allow the Falcons to have great third down percentage like they did with the Saints, you can't beat nobody when you're giving up 85% on third down. That means they're completing every time getting a first down. But every what time. That, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So, you know, you got to blitz. Blitz a little bit on defense and, you know, play a little bit more tough. And I think the Saints – uh, the not the Saints, but the actual Panthers can't beat the Falcons. Plus, we got them at home at Bank of America Stadium, so that should be a plus also. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, and I, if I'm not mistaken, we should be able to have fans in the stands. Um, I think they allowed up to like 5,200 the last game. Uh, granted, you know, cases are rising again across the entire country, uh, so we'll see if that's going to still be allowed here Thursday. I haven't heard anything different about that, so tickets should still be. Uh, available for that. Uh, my main thing was turnovers uh, for this upcoming game. It feels like whenever the Panthers win the turnover battle, they have a better shot of winning the game. And if they get two or more turnovers in a game, they more than likely are going to win it. Um, the, the one turnover that happened in the Panthers-Saints game last week was the strip sack by Brian Burns, which changed the momentum of the game and put the Panthers back in it. So I think uh, for this Panthers team, They've, they've only got, well, I say only, but in seven games, they've got uh, 10 turnovers uh, in seven games, which is good considering they didn't have a single turnover like the first two or three weeks of the year. So the defense is really picked up. Uh, they're starting to, you can kind of see they're learning their spots, their roles a little bit more as each week goes on. They look a little bit more confident. I want to see some swag. Like I want to see some like like defensive, just nasty attitude from the Panthers defense like, like they belong there. Like instead of them out there thinking too hard about what they're doing, just let it just let it go. Like on Sunday when the game day's there, you spent all week practicing, thinking about this and that, where you're supposed to be and where you're supposed to stand and all this other stuff. I want them so loose on Sunday, they're just flying around, flying to the ball as a pack and just causing havoc. Like I just want I want them to get to a point where they feel like as a unit that they can stop whoever, run game, pass game, whatever it might be. Because the, uh, the, the the Falcons are going to throw the ball. They're going to throw the ball, and they're going to do it all day long. 
And they'll do the same type of thing the Saints did where they will give the ball to Todd Gurley to try to keep the Panthers' defense honest because the rushing defense is an issue for the Panthers. And Gurley, you know, had some runs the last time we saw them a couple of weeks ago. So I'm sure the Falcons will try to uh, copy that. But there's something going on with this Falcons team. Like, I, I don't know if it's like the team has just like checked out or they just have bad luck or whatever it is. But there's some kind of funk on this Falcon, like a stench <laughs> on this Falcons team where they can't seem to get out of their own way. They have literally lost. They're one in five, but four of those five losses were all individually different ways to lose a football game in fourth quarter situational football. And if the Panthers are close in the fourth quarter at home against this Falcons team this year, they they got a shot. I mean, everybody else has had one <laughs> and they've cashed it in. So, I mean, and I have no reason to believe this Panthers team won't be because they've been close in every game they've played. They've already played Atlanta once this season already. There hasn't been a single game that Carolina's played where they weren't in the game, like, you know, in the fourth quarter with Teddy having an opportunity to make a play. I think it's going to be same type of thing again, some sort of shootout type of game between these two. I'm going to go with Carolina because it's at home. Um, I think they might get McCaffrey back, which might be a shot in the arm uh, for the entire team. He is the face of the franchise. I don't know how how uh, how much they'll be able to use him. So even if he is suited up, I wouldn't expect him to get 25, 30 touches or anything like that first game back. Mike Davis has shown he can definitely be a reliever at running back for him, and I, I'll be sure. I, I assume they're going to use them both uh, once McCaffrey's back. But I'm going to pick the Panthers in this one, and I think it's going to be a high scoring game, like a 34, 31 type thing. It'll be close through most of it. Uh, neither team will be able to pull away from the other. And in the end, the Falcons will Falcon, and they'll figure out a way to lose this game in the fourth quarter, and uh, the Panthers will be back at 500. That's what I'm thinking. But they got turnovers. For me, turnovers. Get two or more turnovers in this game, and the odds of you winning this game uh, increase exponentially to me. Yeah, so, you know, it's, it's going to be a rivalry. The great, you know, the great thing about it, these teams just saw each other, you know, recently. So it's not going to be a real big uh, study, film study. Uh, I like if they played each other game three and didn't see each other until uh, five, six weeks later. Yeah. You kind of get an opportunity to see what the true balance of this team is, and especially for the Falcons, because you got Matt Rule and Joe Brady, who this is their first time in Carolina. So the Falcons really still don't have that much film work to go off of to see truly if the Panthers are doing something different. So um, I expect, you know, it to be a um, uh, I, I, I'm predicting that the Panthers are going to win by uh, about 10 points. I, I give them 10 points. I just think playing at home, I think, you know, uh, the defense, if they can shut down the run, I don't think the Panthers' defense is uh, good enough to stop this uh, uh, Panthers' offense. Not the way Teddy Bridgewater came back against the Saints and spreading that ball. If they run the ball, we got to get Mike Davis. He has to run the ball. If you throw him in into the running game, uh, the Panther, the Falcons' defense would not be able to stop the um, – Panthers offense. So, uh, but the defense of the Panthers, if they can can contain Ridley and Julio, yeah. Todd Gurley. I'm not too much worried about Todd Gurley uh, because you know a running game. If you be gap sound, you will have somebody who can put an arm on him to slow him down. But it's the passing game that can really hurt you and get those quick scores that can deflate you the most. So, uh, Ridley. Uh, Julio and everybody else on that receivers core, you know, let's try to shut them down. Let's get a little bit more physical in that secondary. Maybe try to get up and challenge these guys a little bit more. So there you have it right there. And uh, I'm just now on Twitter here as we're getting ready to to sign off here from the Believe in Panthers podcast. A couple of notes because the Panthers are starting their practice here uh, this morning. Christian McCaffrey, our buddy um, Joe Person over at The Athletic, uh, just tweeted out that McCaffrey showed up to practice in a red jersey, which denotes an injured player, but then immediately took it off and put on a regular jersey. So take what you will from that. Um, and then uh, this just came across the wire a minute ago. 
The Panthers have taken another step towards getting McCaffrey back in the lineup. He was designated for return from injured reserve on Tuesday. That move will open up a 21-day window for McCaffrey to practice with the team before they'd be faced with a decision to activate him or shut him down for the year. So they had been waiting to pull him off. They actually pulled the trigger on that uh, today, Tuesday, as we're taping this. Uh, So he is no longer on injured reserve, or he's designated for return from injured reserve, I should say. Um, he was, again, through Monday's walkthrough in a red non-contact jersey. Um, it looks like he might miss the Falcons game, possibly. Again, like Ty was saying, today and tomorrow we'll find out. If he has if he's limited in practice today, that's a good sign that he's actually out there doing some drills and stuff. And then if he goes through the full thing, uh, well, it would be today on short week, right? Wednesday's the walkthrough, so... Um, we'll find out by the end of today, we'll have a pretty good idea if McCaffrey's going to probably play, although the Panthers might hold that close to the vest and not really reveal it until they absolutely have to. Uh, so we'll, we'll find out, but eight twenties to kick off Thursday, Amazon prime Fox and NFL network Panthers in prime time for the first time this season, taking on division rival, the Atlanta Falcons. You can follow, uh, myself, Desmond Johnson on Twitter at D E Z underscore three, five Oh five. Follow my man, Tyrone pool at Tyrone pool 38 and go follow the Believe Podcast Network at Believe Podcast on Twitter as well. So you can catch our podcast every week and everyone's podcast. There's so many on the Believe Podcast Network. You'll never run out of uh, good things to listen to over there. So from my man, Tyrone Poole, I'm Desmond Johnson. We're signing off. Go Panthers taking on the Falcons this Thursday night on Thursday Night Football. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.